Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. And today, it's sort of a bittersweet occasion. This is the last week of our beloved Nintendo Month 2014, but we're ending with one of our most exciting topics. And that's really a big statement because we've had some of our favorite episodes of all time this month. We're doing It's About Time, a spotlight episode on the career and life of legendary veteran Nintendo video game composer Hirokazu Hip Tanaka. Yeah, this is long overdue. Uh, he, I just want to make it clear he's still living. He's still with us. Kind of the way you, you said that made it sound like he wasn't. But yeah, if anyone this has... This is a memorial to <laughs> the legend. Has checked out that uh, documentary series, Digging in the Carts. He, he's heavily featured on that series. There's a cool interview with him. But yeah, Hip Tanaka, obviously, if anyone's a fan of the podcast, they're familiar with that one of Will's favorite video game composers. I mean, for crying out loud, he just did a Metroid comprehensive album, and, you know, Hirokazu Tanaka was the one who started the entire Metroid series. Just an absolutely legendary figure at Nintendo. As far as video game music goes, you can't have a conversation about it without talking about Hip Tanaka. So it actually is kind of crazy that this is this is now when we're finally dedicating an episode to him. And he was one of the first... Uh, video game composers hired by Nintendo. He was hired Absolutely. in 1980. So that's really before we think about, you know, the NES and everything. But Hirokazu Tanaka I think really needs to be acclaimed for his sort of pioneering um, uses of music in games. It's funny because uh, we're only going to be playing a few tracks today from some of his really early titles because the music is sort of scattered um, sparsely. It's not like in, yeah. you know, like Super Mario Brothers where you have an overworld theme and the music's just playing the whole time. You'd have these really short little jingles that would just play, you know, right before the game would start. And exactly. To, to be honest, I can't think of another composer who I think does a better job than Hirokazu to at that type of really short, interspersed game music. So I'm really excited to talk about his career. Well, Hip Tanaka cut his teeth on the arcade, you know, obviously right. before the NES was invented. He did a lot of great work for years and years, pretty much four or five years uh, for Nintendo games on the arcade. Donkey Kong 2, well, Donkey has- Kong 3... Stuff like that. Donkey Kong Jr., a lot of great, really short themes. What I love, though, is he has such a distinct, um, not even just compositional sound, just really he sort of created the sense of what video game music was like at that time. And the thing that I find pretty forward-thinking is that it seems very self-aware. So much of it is kind of highlighting the digital elements of the music, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of creating music that you almost couldn't make um, acoustically. And I think that's uh, really one of the more interesting things. So I think that... That should bring us to the first little medley that we're going to play here. Absolutely. So we're going to start things off with one of the very early, one of the most iconic Nintendo games for the NES. This is Duck Hunt. Now, Duck Hunt came out in 1984. Um, Obviously, in North America, it wouldn't be released till 85. October 18th, 85, to be specific, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And this game is so famous because it's the pioneering use of that really cool invention, the Zapper. Which he actually Um, co-created, which is crazy. But yeah, we're going to do a medley because... The music is so incredibly short. It only consists of these very, very short but <laughs> classic jingles. So this medley is a whopping total of 27 seconds, and it's like, I think, eight different little jingles or something. So here's a medley, guys, for you to enjoy from Duck Hunt, composed by Hirokazu Hiptanaka. Tanaka. 
And there you have it, folks. That is the Duck Hunt medley composed by Hiro Hiptanaka. Gosh, I, I have so much to say about this because to me this captures what's so great about his early game music and it really has a distinct sound from something like Metroid. I would say from the very beginning, um, Hirokazu Tanaka was very obsessed with setting the mood and creating the proper ambiance for the experiences. And mm-hmm. I think it's fitting that his music got more sophisticated and maybe um, it's also fitting a little bit less sort of uh, melodic and cute as video games evolved as they got more complex and um, they got they became more vast his music sort of took a similar arc what I yeah. love about this early period is um, he's really showcasing some of the uniquenesses of this hardware it seems like every single note is at such a short staccatissimo length you know when I think of early hip Tanaka I think of really short doot doot do, 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 do. Just really, really short triangle and all those intricate, like all that really kind of interplay stuff where, you know, it really seems like most NES music has slightly longer, you know, pitches and focuses on more kind of simple melodies. But his stuff from the very beginning was really kind of intricate and complex. And it never seems like a, <laughs> a note lasts longer than like a 16th note. It's just so kind of short and plucky. It is cool. And I'm glad we get to, we get to focus a little bit on his really early NES music because this is kind of a carryover of the style of the arcade. And Hip Tanaka was really one of the first composers that would, after this, start to really move into a new direction on the NES. You know, we're going to skip over Balloon Fight because obviously guys you heard we played in with that. That would be next chronologically on our list I feel like Balloon Fight is very much a transitional score for him. We might as well talk about it now since we're not going to play it. I think it's transitional because it captures sort of the elements of his earlier music but it is sort of like an overworld theme that plays throughout um, in the background while you're playing the game. And it and it's influenced by outside genres. One of the cool things in the Digging in the Carts uh, interview with him is that he mentioned he was obsessed with reggae music and ska music. So right. that really was what he was going for, and especially Balloon Fight, a little bit, uh, I think maybe Gyromite. But yeah, especially in Balloon Fight, which we were glad to hear that because we just did a, a cool reggae remix of that track on Harmony of Heroes. So we were really glad to hear that. But yeah, Balloon Fight, um, definitely a turning point for him. If we pass over Balloon Fight, the next track on our playlist, we're going chronologically, is Wrecking Crew. Now this came out as well uh, the same year, 1985. So many classic games that he composed came out in 1985. This was also a lot of people's first uh, NES game or one of the first video games that they played. This was a a classic kind of old school arcade style game, um, a classic Nintendo game. When I think of some of the greats, you know, you think of Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr. But to me, I, I immediately uh, think about Wrecking Crew. I, I've always really liked this game and I've always been really interested by the music. Wasn't Mario in this game, the first yeah, the first Mario you, game. This is one of the first games you play as Mario. I think because of that, for years there was a lot of miscrediting where someone thought Koji Kondo did this, but it's right. not the case. So let's let's play Wrecking Crew. Obviously, we're going to play the main stage theme composed by Hip Tanaka. Let's take a listen, guys. Thank you. 
Gosh, you're right, Will. I really love those staccato notes. That really is so signature in his early NES writing. This is the stage theme from Wrecking Crew um, by Hip Tanaka. In an interview, someone was asking him about his, his style, his unique style of video game music, and he said, first of all, I need to know that I don't have a style. The game comes before that. I think it's a cute response, but yeah, I'm sorry, Hip Tanaka, you do have a style. You can't escape it. This doesn't sound like anyone else. I, re I respect what he was trying to say, and I know what he was trying to say, but does he ever have a style? <laughs> well, I think maybe what he was saying is that I think it's more like a lot of early video games were very kind of similar and they probably elicited a very similar kind of emotional response as a creator because I do actually think of him as being a little bit of a chameleon because you can identify clear commonalities in his composition within a certain era but I don't think anyone could listen to this and then listen to say like the Turian theme from Metroid and say oh that sounds like the same guy or even like Super Mario Land I mean I think you know he can't escape sounding like himself but oh, there's obviously there's obviously diversity in, in his music but there's so many tracks from multiple different generations and soundtracks that sound unmistakable hip to knock to me right yeah i i love this one i feel like to me what he does with sort of the shorter staccato rhythms and everything it's just like it's really inviting and it almost I, to me, it always sort of like highlighted the more intellectual aspects of video game music where it's like, I don't know, it, it, it didn't feel like really broad or kind of like over the top. It was always yeah. very kind of subtle. And it I don't know, it helped because these early games were... Um, they were more simple in context, and I think they were they're a little bit more like symbolic in beautiful than maybe a slightly mm. later game where you know the intentions are so kind of obvious. Where with early games things seem to be a little bit more metaphorical. So I always yeah. loved Hirokazu's music because it seems like it's it's positioned in this right place where it it almost feels a little bit more elegant somehow. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So we guys we have one more track in game to talk about from the year 1985, the first year of the NES, if you were in North America. And that is, of course, Gyromite. And Gyromite was an interesting game because it was one of the one of two games, actually, that you could use with Rob, the robotic operating buddy, which worked much like the Zapper, um, where it detected, you know, different parts of the screen with light and Rob's eyes would actually respond to it. And so when you'd press a button in Gyromite, this like actual robot toy would move this little spinning top onto a button and it would activate something in the game. It was really kind of <laughs> cool. And I think a a lot of untapped potential there yeah so let's take a listen to game a bgm this is obviously the most well-loved and famous theme from gyromite here we go
That was Game A BGM from Gyromite, composed by Hiro Hip Tanaka. Oh, so great. Yeah, it's so fun. This is another track that uh, it, it always reminds me of our History of Video Game Music episode, because we featured this, uh, I think it was one of the first tracks when we were moving on to the NES era. It, it really was a good choice for that, but I always think of that episode when I hear this, but this is such a bouncy track. You hear a lot of ska influence, actually, in the the upbeats, what would be played on a guitar if this was by a real band here. A lot of fun. Again, so plucky and cute. And I feel like in his early music, he captures a really kind of digital robotic sound to it. You know, I feel like in later 8-bit music, it almost comes back around to wanting to sound realistic. And they're pushing the boundaries of the hardware to sound like instruments or to sound like performers or a band. But... <laughs> Hip Tanaka's music is so unabashedly digital. It's so perfect. And mm-hmm. this game, I think, is very fitting because you're working next to a robot kind of companion. And so I feel like this really, to me, I always think of the music of Gyromite and Stack Up is the other game that you could play with Rob. But the music that Hirokazu Tanaka did for those games, I feel like totally captures just like the personality of that little video game robot. I think it's really kind of cool where he's not just necessarily scoring the game. This is also sort of a theme for uh, that real-life kind of toy, which Will was, I always thought was kind of cool. Will was actually acting out Rob as we were listening to that, guys. It was, it was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, in general, this episode, you know, this is your boy, Will. He's your guy. Hero Hiptanaka, he's your absolute jam. So I'm going to, you know, kind of a little bit take a back seat on this episode. And this is this is definitely Will's, Will's cup of tea for sure. So now we're going to move on to the next year, 1986, which is a pretty huge year, arguably the the biggest year in his entire career because Metroid and Kid Icarus both came out this year. Really just pivotal soundtracks for him. Absolutely. And the cool story behind Metroid and Kid Icarus, they share an engine and they were sort of, they're considered sister titles because they were both created by Gunpei Yokoi. Um, But they're very different in operation. You know, Metroid is this big exploration game, kind of like combining Zelda and Mario. Yeah, and uh, Kid Icarus is sort of like a linear platformer. Obviously, Metroid became more famous. And the music is very different, too. I think that's true, yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to sort of see where there are differences and where there are similarities, because I do agree with like what you said earlier, Carl, that maybe this guy does have a style. Before we listen mm-hmm. to this Metroid title theme, I want everyone, pretend like you haven't heard it before, and just think about how, um, especially in the context of, you know, this is 1986, how is this setting the tone for this game? So pretend you've never heard of Metroid by Hirokazu Tanaka, and this is the title theme. And we're going to, by the way, play three tracks from this game. Here we go.
Wow. That definitely stops you in your tracks, especially in 1986. That was a title screen from Metroid for the NES, composed by Hirokazu Hiptanaka. We're going to play a few tracks from this game. Wow. I mean, compare that to the other music that we've shared here today. I mean, so much of that is really optimistic and simple and kind of plucky. And this is so ambient and atmospheric for the time. I mean, just with the three. And I mean, this game came out on the Famicom disc system in Japan. So you had that fourth pitch channel, but Mm -hmm. he was also responsible for the North American arrangement. And I mean, with just three pitch voices, the things that he's able to convey here are just incredible. I love how long that drone occurs at the beginning. The uh, Yeah. Uh, It's really powerful. It's almost like a heartbeat. And the cool thing is the delay that he does the... It's not multiple different pulses that are actually happening. It's it's within the same sort of instrument that's just um, turning on and off and changing volume. And I think it's a really cool effect to almost create that sense of reverberance. But what I love about this melody is how it develops. It starts off much more ambient and kind of sets the mood. And it slowly kind of warms you up and introduces you to really some of the most beautiful... um, melodies of the game i would say this and the credits theme are the only time where it kind of indulges you with some of those lyrical moments for the most part this game is um pretty atmospheric and i really think it's a novel soundtrack for the time yeah i love about this title screen that it goes to a bunch of different directions you know i think again the average person isn't going to hear the whole thing especially in this time i mean i I don't know i think you're just expecting it to just do the done Done. You're not really expecting much from it, but then the fact that it has those the second section and then the third section even where the rhythms get really interesting and the chords get really interesting. That's actually that final section is my favorite section of the piece. Right. Oh yeah, and I be, but I even think the fact that you could have something that's like kind of pure, kind of dark and atmospheric to start off with. It's like what other NES game had anything like that, especially from Nintendo. Well, that's why it needed to start that way because. Even if someone didn't hear the second or third part, the mo- the part they need to hear is the beginning, you know? Yeah, and it really just sort of sets the tone for the game and the whole mood. That whole title screen is, is pretty well animated, and it just, like... I don't know. I imagine at the time that it would really be exciting. You know, you're in the shoes of this kind of bounty hunter and this sort of spacey sci-fi game. It, it just must have been so exciting to play this game for the first time. Yeah, so now we're going to play... There's a few really pivotal soundtracks today that we're going to play more than one track. So just a little bit of a warning there. We're now going to play Brinstar, the first level theme of the game. Here we go.
so iconic. This is Brinstar from Metroid by Hirokazu Hiptanaka. This is, for me, you know, if I were to be on the title screen back in 1986, I probably would have pressed start right away. So going from the really dark, kind of ambient dissonance of the title to this uplifting theme would really be important. Because I think in 1986, it's you have to still make it fun, you know? Because this is possibly going to be for a nine-year-old. So you have to make it something that is going to, you know, motivate that that child. So you can't have the entire soundtrack be dissonant and scary. And I'm so glad that he has both. He has moments of fright and he has moments of terror musically. But he also has moments like this, which is just uplifting well, you. And I think it fits because Brinstar is the the safest sort of area on Zebus, which is sort of another cool thing about Metroid is it doesn't really take place in levels. You can kind of explore all over at your will over this giant planet. And Brinstar is the first area that you're in. And that's it's sort what's of, so key here is it's the first theme you hear. But it's also you return to it throughout the game and... What's a great feeling in Metroid is you collect new items and you return to old areas and mm-hmm. enemies that once challenged you are now really um, easy to deal with. So I feel like this piece works in two contexts. It works as the start of the game to kind of get you filled with and riled up. It's this march, but it also is incredibly like a feeling of relief and satisfaction and it becomes yeah. sort of an uplifting theme of your badassery later on in the game when you come back from the more difficult areas with new and improved weapons. It yeah. works on multiple levels. Yeah, I'm actually a bigger fan of the NES version of the soundtrack, by the way. Um, I mean, obviously, there's some of the pieces where it feels like he composed it for the FDS, and those I prefer. But, for example, Brinstar, I I prefer this NES version. I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's also just about what you grew up with. You know, these Mm -hmm. are the versions that I always played and loved. So now we're going to play the last track from Metroid, and this is the ending. This is the ending and credits from Metroid. One of my faves. Here we go.
badass. One of my favorite things I noticed this time around is the really interesting bass rhythms. There's a lot of cool dun-dun-dun triplets that he's doing on the bass. Really surprising rhythms. For me, this piece comes full circle once the drums come back in. You know how it goes to that really beautiful part, but then when the drums come back in, it's like, okay, yeah, it's back to the dance party. This is, I, I think this might be like, it's definitely in my top three for like favorite video game and credits themes. And I think it's Hirokazu, Hirokazu Tanaka and Koji Kondo, I, I've said this before, but I think those two in specific are really owed a lot of credit when it comes to credits themes and sort of the what structure. that even means yeah. so often you know we hear similar progressions and styles but to me I would say Metroid is the first game with a really comprehensive end credits theme mm-hmm. that takes you on a journey and it feels kind of like you know this would be really emotionally powerful in a film and I think what's also really satisfying I've heard um, Hip Tanaka say this in interviews but what works about the Metroid score is that all the theme music and level music is really ambient and kind of atmospheric and uh-huh. characterizes the location but the ending and title music are really the only two points in the soundtrack where you have that sort of feeling of relief and what I love about yeah. this ending is you really have a feeling of fun and accomplishment too which is I mean I think it's intentionally lacking from Metroid and it's all the more satisfying here and what I also like is to me and maybe you disagree Carl but what I love about this ending theme is it captures sort of the fun and spirit of video games but it never loses uh the harmonic world of Metroid. I feel like it's something that just flows throughout this entire piece. And it was one of the things that inspired me most in my Child of the Chozo album. I guess I feel like there are a lot of things in this piece that are unlike any other track, though, in the game. So I guess I don't know if it... But that's intentional. I think that's on purpose. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's it's not leaving the Metroid world. I think this is very, very different from any other track in the game musically. So for me, I, this feels like a complete... Uh, 360 like he's just going to a completely different place on purpose but he 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 cradles it he cradles it really well you know it starts off with the da 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 Da, 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 and, and that ends feels that way home. too and he sort of he leads you into that but journey. in between he goes in brand new territories but i really like it though no he introduces that da, 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 you know in a more traditional way and then when you kind of have that really fun you know groove come in it's already been sort of with established music. I just think it's great. So now we're going to move on to Kid Icarus, which, like Will said, was the sister game released the same year. Again, we're going to play a few tracks from this game. Uh, really, you have to, you know, for some of these really, really huge Hip Tanaka soundtracks, you got to spend a little more time on them. So we're going to play the, by far the most famous track in the game. This is Underworld. Here we go. is a classic piece of music right there that's underworld from kid icarus you could really just call this the kid icarus theme everybody knows this theme who knows this series what i really enjoyed in kid icarus uprising 
is uh, that they use this so heavily and they somehow managed to make it work uh, in this modern era with orchestral and rock instruments. It was really fun to see how they could use this uh, and, and do really cool variations in that. But yeah, this is definitely um, one of his most uh, iconic melodies, I would say. And I think what I love about this era in his writing is there's sort of like a longing for something more like this music goes so far beyond the boundaries of conventional three-part eight-bit music that it i don't know it just feels like you can hear an orchestra when you listen to it it's, it's kind of like something uh jaron moore said when we were talking about uh the legend of zelda music and he's like i could always hear the orchestra in my head when i was listening to these games i this piece in particular i really kind of hold close to my heart because this was really the first time that i think i sat down and examined 8-bit music and really kind of felt like this is so advanced for a video game one of the things that well, cool. i was just so in love with as a kid was you have that sort of um, counter melody underneath you have da 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 and then da 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 that part interacting underneath like I don't know it felt very sophisticated for a video game yeah. melody, for a video game melody and it kind of shook up the whole idea of melody and harmony going right together in sort of a parallel sequence awesome 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 we're gonna play two more tracks from Kid Icarus let's now we played Underworld so of course let's play Overworld. This is also really, really cool. Here we go. from Kid Icarus, composed by Hip Tanaka. You know, part of me might like this better than the Underworld, actually. I've never been, like, the biggest fan of that Underworld theme. This is a theme that um, maybe just personally resonates with me a little more. I really dig the tango vibe that he has going, but it, does he ever go in different directions? He really changes it up, and at one point, you know, he does that kind of Americana sound and then has some really interesting major second kind of uh, harsh, I guess, kind of dissonance. Like, it sounds dissonant on the NES, but it's it's a really advanced. This part is ridiculous. It's really kind of experimental music for the for the NES. And you think about how early it is. Well, it's much like Metroid in that here. It's just, I love it. There's so much kind of harmonic wandering. It, it's very similar to like the music in Norfair or uh, Ridley's Lair, which is yeah. just so kind of dense and advanced for the NES. And amazing to think that there's only three voices occurring at once. Yeah. Yeah, no, this this piece really does it for me. I, I think this is maybe my favorite track in the game. Yeah, something I think is kind of cool about this piece is you mentioned sort of the tango vibe, but I also kind of got um, melody-wise and harmonically, it sort of captures a little bit of some of the Roman and like 
Greek music-y elements because that's sort of part of the whole folklore, you know, Kid Icarus and it, it's almost a little bit like Cupid or something um, or just kind of these, you know, dealing with like the gods and Roman kind of folklore. So I felt like this was also sort of an attempt at capturing that a little bit. Yeah, I, I love how all over the place he is with different influences. He's not just doing the kind of the Roman thing. And again, I think it's video games are the perfect place for that because it's sort of the glue that can hold all that stuff together. Well, the last track from Kid Icarus we're going to play is surprisingly, no, I'm just kidding, it's not surprising at all. It's ending in credits. Let's take a listen. funny this was released and worked on the same year now i'm hearing so much similarities between this and the metroid ending right like almost like the exact same structure Uh, i will say that the challenge of already having these themes and really wanted to to use these themes and do interesting variations which he didn't really do in the metroid ending it was all original i don't think it's quite as slick and smooth as the metroid ending i think it's a little bit in areas, I think it's a little bit more awkward. But what do you think about this? Well, I actually, I don't know. I think some of those choices work. And what I really like about it is, again, I think it's one of the first examples I can think about um, in a video game where you sort of have development of a main theme and sort of have like a really kind of rousing, elaborate, quasi-orchestral version of it, much like you would at the end of a film where you kind of take a main theme and develop it in new ways. And I really think there's a lot of pioneering uses of the hardware in this ending theme. Obviously, I agree. I think the Metroid one is much closer to my heart and I just love all the music within it. But I do think this one works and I think it really kind of captures sort of a heightened, exciting uh, musical feeling. And I think it would be really satisfying at the end of this game. Yeah, some really, for me, some really kind of quirky um, voice leading that I'm hearing in this that doesn't necessarily work for me personally. Uh, I don't know how much of that was intentional and how much of that is just the limitations on the NES. Um, but yeah, no, Kid Icarus has never, you know, been one of my favorite soundtracks, but it's definitely one that I definitely respect. Right. And I'm glad we got to 
talk a lot about it today. So now we're going to move on to, I think this is also the same. No, this is two years later. It's interesting. There's, there's a year gap on his gameography, uh, the nothing in 97, but 98, we're going to move on to Famicom Wars. And I believe this one he worked on with Kenji Yamamoto. This is a track he wrote called Mission BGM Type B from Famicom Wars. Let's take a listen, guys. track yeah for me this this definitely sounds um there are things about this that sound like classic hip tanaka to me it's really interesting when i listen to famicom wars because there definitely were some tracks that i could hear like oh yeah this one makes sense this this might be a yamamoto track i do know that this was a hip tanaka track but it's cool that these two guys work together uh on the famicom knowing that yamamoto would eventually kind of take over the metroid series i I think that's cool. Do you think it's sort of like a passing of the torch of sorts? It is. It is like a nice transitional period here. I like it. What do you think about this track? Well, this is a soundtrack. Um, Will made most of this playlist, but there's a few contributions that I um, did just to kind of flesh it out. This was one that I did. I discovered. I don't think either of us were very familiar with this soundtrack. Well, I listened to this whole soundtrack when I was making the playlist, and I I kind of skipped over it because it was done with Kenji Yamamoto, and I I didn't think I could find you know specific crediting for tracks because I know sometimes that's hard to find on 8-Bit Music, so I just kind of assumed... Yeah, some of it does exist. Luckily, um, for someone as popular as Hero Hip Tanaka, there's a lot of people that uh, do that kind of stuff online, so that stuff is out there. You just have to dig for it. But yeah, uh, that's a really cool track. I think now it's time to move on to the next year. This is 1989, and it's the dawn of the Game Boy. It has to be said that Hirokazu Hip Tanaka couldn't have played a bigger role in the inception of the Game Boy. He created the Game Boy sound chip. So the reason why the Game Boy sounds the way it does, all those decisions were uh, made by Hirokazu Hiptanaka. So it's not surprising that he was kind of in charge of a lot of really early Nintendo games for the Game Boy, such as Super Mario Land. Uh, might be my personal favorite Hip Tanaka soundtrack. I love it. I love that he's definitely going for Koji Kondo here. I love that challenge. Um, that That's a unique challenge that he never really did any, any other time in his career. Uh, this is very specific, very clear influence from Koji Kondo, but I love Hirokazu's take on it. It's really cool. We're going to start things off with Birabudo Kingdom, and like some of the other soundtracks, we're going to play a few tracks from Mario Land today, but let's take a listen to this first track. Such a lovely little 
short, wonderful piece of early video game music. This is Birabudo Kingdom from Super Mario Land, composed by Hip Tanaka. It's so cute, you know? Um, it's actually getting at different places than the previous Mario music that Koji Kondo composed. It's obviously in the vein, but there's something different about it. I can't quite put my finger on it, Will. Well, again, it, it, what I really like about it is I think uh, he did a really good job because I, it doesn't just feel like a direct parody of Koji Kondo's music, and maybe that's Not at what all. he was going for, but I feel like he's almost like going farther back. He's kind of looking at... That must what, be what it is. ...what other types of more kind of novelty 1920s-ish music that Absolutely. Uh, has a similar vibe to a lot of the Mario music, where I think mm -hmm. Koji Kondo just kind of conjures up those emotions with his raw melodic style and a lot of the Mario score took inspiration all over the map where I feel like Super Mario Land does a clear job of you know it sounds a little bit like ragtime and it sounds a lot like kind of novelty music of the 20s and there's a lot of kind of you know vaudeville music that's in place of some of the Koji Kondo themes um, one thing that I think is kind of cool the Starman theme in this game instead of being the Koji Kondo Starman theme is actually uh, a version of the Can Can. Absolutely. It's so cool. I thought that was an interesting choice, but I really like this piece. I think it's kind of cute and it actually kind of gets at um, some, it's an early point in Mario history, so we didn't have a lot of uh, soundtracks to base it off of, but I think it gets at sort of what makes a good Mario theme too. Yeah, I personally am of the opinion that, um, you know, the traditions and kind of the standard of quality, the seal of quality that was set forth by Koji Kondo really pushed Hip Tanaka to do such a good job with this soundtrack because when I think about the quality of other Game Boy soundtracks that he did, I just think this is um, a little bit more polished in my opinion. That's why it's one of my favorite Hip Tanaka soundtracks. For whatever whatever it was, you know, that led to its inception, well, I'm just... Mario is a big deal. Mario is... It is a big deal. The biggest sort of Nintendo flagship franchise, so... There was definitely a lot of pressure on him for doing this. I'm glad they gave him the sole duty, though. I think it gave him the, um, you know, the creative freedom he needed to do such a good job. So now we're going to play another track from Mario Land. Let's play Muda Kingdom. This one's cool as well. Here we go. track this is muda kingdom from mario land and this is one of the tracks that is a little bit more kind of original sounding just definitely going in different places even more than baraboto kingdom i feel like this one really it doesn't really feel like mario music that you've heard so far it reminds me of the game too you know it's like it was sort of a nice chance for them to get to experiment with some different sort of elements in the mario universe you know the entire mm -hmm. game sort of has that 
feeling of it's close to Mario, but a few yeah. things are a little bit different. And I think the music kind of captures that as well, or rather it's just sort of a microcosm of it. What I really like about this song, it actually reminds me of some of his work in Mother or Earthbound, where it's like the music sounds like, you know, a song or it sounds like a song yeah. that would have vocals and be played in like a, you know, kind of like alternative 90s Specifically rock Specifically this group. song. There is something about this song that kind of stands out. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, traditional Mario music at well, all. So, the, now, so the fact that it's harmonized the whole time also mm-hmm. reminds me of that. So now, guys, we're really excited to move on to this week's Track of the Week. This is Rocket Ship Ride from Super Mario Land, composed by Hirokazu Hiptanaka. I think both Will and myself, one of our favorite tracks in this soundtrack, and I think both of our, you know, clear choice for Track of the Week today. Not saying it's the best track he ever writ- he ever wrote, but it's definitely a very fitting Track of the Week. And this is the ending theme and credits, and what's kind of cool is the opening theme that you'll hear, you hear sort of a very shortened version of it at the end of every castle as yeah. sort of like a little tease, and then this plays at the end of the game when you finally rescue Daisy and then it'll segue right into sort of the credits theme. Let's take a listen to Rocket Ship Ride. Listening to Rocket Ship Ride. This is the ending from Super Mario World, composed by the wonderful Hip Tanaka. Yeah, this this really might be one of his most solid melodies, solid ideas um, in his career. And I gotta say, you know, really trying to push himself to make an ending that lives up to something like Mario 2, I think, is pretty evident here. I don't know, it reminds me of Mario 2, but that second section feels so classic Hip Tanaka. This guy definitely has his own style. And when, when it's all said and done, this track doesn't sound like a Koji Kondo credit song, even though it might start off that way. When, when it's all done, it really doesn't sound like a Koji Kondo ending in a good way. I mean, yeah, it's, it's nice. He's able to put his staple on the series, I think, uh, in a really mm-hmm. wonderful way. I, I love this soundtrack. I think it perfectly fits the game. The game is sort of an oddball. It's a lot yeah. less like Mario, where I think something like Super Mario Land 2 is sort of more in line with uh, the regular Mario games. And I think the soundtrack is more like that as well. It's still a fun game. You know what's funny is uh, Mario Land was pretty much what was the main influence for the TI-83 Mario game. 
as far as like the oh, style and, and the gameplay. It was pretty much modeled. You after love Mario talking Land. about your TI eighty three, don't you? It was a big period of my life for like um kind of my teen years. Yeah, you were supposed to be studying and paying attention in class, and you were playing games on your calculator. Shameful. As my grades were going downhill, my my love and passion for games and making games was going up. So anyway, we're now going to move on to Tetris. This is a really early Game Boy game as well. Maybe... This is an arrangement. Yeah, this is an arrangement. This is probably the most famous track on the whole episode. This is Type A. Everybody knows this track who is a fan of video game music. There's a pretty interesting um, Tetris opera on the most recent video games live album, Level 3. So if you're interested, if you like this track, check that album out. It's, It's pretty cool stuff. This is obviously based on uh, a Russian folk melody, so that's why. Yeah, the theme that this is based off of is called Koro Bainiki. Um, it's a Russian folk melody, and it's cool. This is actually a track that we played and discussed on our panel with Tim Turry and Emily Reese at yeah. Gamers Rhapsody last week. Um, and that was a lot of fun, and we kind of talked about classical music's influence on video games. And this was an example where we played of showing sort of a classical or folk melody, but being arranged for games. And I think it's just kind of a really cool and intuitive decision um, by Hip Tanaka to use this Russian folk melody for Tetris. Let's take a listen to Type A. Such a classic piece of video game music. Definitely one of the most classic that we've ever played on the podcast. Everybody knows and loves this. This is Type A from Tetris, arranged famously by Hirokazu Hiptanaka, composed by Unknown. Nobody knows who composed this. As is the case with most kind of old, classic, traditional folk music. Some people don't know uh, where the melodies come from, but it's fun to hear them pass down through generation in different mediums such as video games. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I think it's it's so great because I think the um, the whole foreign kind of aspect of Tetris and um, it, it was almost so sort of marketed as like this kind of Russian-y invasion kind of game, which was a great kind of context for this very simple puzzle game where you're just matching shapes together. Um, but I think it's one of the things that made it really popular and stand out from other sort of generic puzzle games. It also works because, you know, the Tetris creator and designer is, you know, Russian. You know, this is a Russian game. So obviously it makes sense that, and that's something we touched on in our panel, it makes sense that it would have this Russian folk song. And who knows, maybe it was that guy's idea to do that. We're going to move on to Mother, which um, some people know this is Earthbound Zero. Is that right, Will? I think uh, maybe not on like unofficially. But yeah, Mother, the first game in this series. This is Pollyanna, one of the more uh, bright and happy pieces in the game. Let's take a listen to Pollyanna.
beautiful track. We actually played this not too long ago. I don't remember if it was a Mercado Radio or some episode, but yeah, we, we played this not, not in the too distant past, but this is a really pretty track. I actually was a big fan. Will, do you remember the other track we played recently, which all, right. again kind of felt like a pop song? Wait, what was it? Yeah, it was called... Um, it was something about like some sort of love song. It was yeah. like, I, I would only do this for you or... All I needed was you, I oh, think. All I needed was you. Was that Hirokazu Hiptonaka? Do you know who composed that one? I don't know. It could have been either one, because the other composer, uh, Kaichi Suzuki, was sort of a singer-songwriter at the time, and I think ah. this may have been like one of the first games that he worked on. That could have been him, yeah. He's it could have actually... been either one, because there's both. Um, they both did some of these. A lot of Mother contains just these kind of like songs. They both did Earthbound as well. What's right. interesting is when you ask um, Hip Tanaka his influences, Kaichi Suzuki is one of his musical influences, as well as like a lot of really all over the place stuff. So I, I always think that's cool. Someone that you work with, um, you know, plays a big part in your inspiration. So now we're going to move on to another kind of cool discovery I don't think either of us were that familiar with. This is a game called Night Move. And this came out in 1989, and this was also for the Famicom disc, disc system. Let's take a listen to Night Move. This is BGM3. Listening to BGM3 from Night Move, which came out in '89 for the Famicom Disk System. And fun fact: this game was also developed, designed by Alexey Pajanov, the Tetris creator. So this is a game, another game by the Tetris creator. And of course, you know, we got Hip Tanaka again to do the music. This time, original. This is another cool tango. This time, he's really nailing a tango. But it's also, I feel, very Russian. Like, it doesn't it doesn't feel um, super Spanish, I would say. Like, the nature and contours of the melody and harmony are very Russian in nature. Even mm-hmm. though it uses some of those, like, ornamentations and stuff, uh, it's very distinctly... He's still in a Russian headspace, which I think is very cool and fits the game. I wonder if these two were friends or if they had any sort of um, kind of collaboration or if this is kind of like a little bit of a nod, you know, he to Alexi. He was sort of the man at Nintendo as far as like composing stuff for the Game Boy, and especially probably with the success of Tetris, they probably had him. Yeah. Just do this. Absolutely. So now we're going to move on to Dr. Mario. What a fun game. Another this came great out, puzzle game. This came out in 1990, another puzzle game uh, released for so many effing systems, originally for the NES, obviously. We're going to play. Guess what? Oh yeah, Fever. Of course we're going to play Fever. It's by far the most famous theme from Dr. Mario. It's composed by Hip Tanaka, so let's take a listen. (laughs) 
Gosh, I can't not hear the uh, the cool SNES version with the monkeys. Every time I hear this, I think of those dang monkeys. Yeah, I just love this theme. I think this is so great. It, it does a nice job of feeling completely novel and scoring the game in like a really cool way. But it also kind of fits in the world of Mario. It captures a little bit of kind of Mario 3's uh, bluesiness a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's cool to hear him kind of return to that series in a small way. But I just, the, it, it feels like Mario also because of how solid the structure is and how, all the cadential phrases, like whenever the melody kind of wraps up and closes before it loops, it, there's a huge sense of completion, which is something that Koji Kondo does great. And that's kind of what we were talking about last week guys you got to check out uh kirby's dream band's cover of this on um harmony of heroes this is the track right before our track uh such a cool pairing of two hip tanaka tracks back to back on that album but they knocked this out of the park it's such a fun track uh to hear them play really really great band if anyone isn't familiar we're gonna we gotta have them on our podcast one of these days that would be a blast but we're now going to move on to the 16-bit era, to the Super Nintendo, to Earthbound. One of the few games, is this the only Super Nintendo game he ever worked on? It, it might be. It's definitely, if it's not, it's one of the no, few. No, he did Mario Paint also. Mario Paint, you're right. That was, the, that was the other kind of one he did. He may have done more, but um, yeah, Earthbound, definitely uh, <laughs> an infamous game for so many reasons. Obviously, it's you know it became really hard to find. I don't know if it it, it didn't like initially sell well, but it kind of turned into this crazy cult classic. Uh, a goofy game that has the music itself has a really interesting sense of humor. There's some really scary stuff. There's some really pretty stuff. Um, my favorite track is "Smiles and Tears," which is I think one of the ending themes, and that was also composed by Hip Tanaka. I went through the list. Someone uh, broke down who composed which track. And I listened to all the Hipsnaka tracks, and I picked my favorite one, and it happens to be this track. This is Snowman from Earthbound, composed by Hiptanaka. cool track that is snowman from earthbound by hip tanaka yeah i wish he would have done more on the super nintendo because i i, I hear a lot of the same um just kind of zest and exploration experimenting that i heard honestly on the early nes from him which is so cool but i'm hearing him a little bit more comfortable with this technology so it's just it's something that i i kind of want more of in this era absolutely yeah it it, it is one of those things that um 
I think to a lot of video game fans, it feels like uh, Hirokazu Tanaka, you know, he fell off the grid or he just stopped working on video game music. But it's not really, that's not really the case. The just unfortunate thing is that he left uh, Nintendo to uh, join the company Creature that did work on anime because uh, his music for Pokemon was, you know, so beloved um, on the anime show in Japan. It, it didn't make it into the Western version of the show, but uh, right. his music was really loved in Japan for that. Um, but Nintendo didn't let you um, write music for hmm. another company or for anything non-Nintendo. So that's, that's the reason why he left the company. But I'd be so curious to see, you know, him come back to video games and write a score now with modern technology and instrumentation. I'd be curious to see what he would do. And it's also so sad because he's still with that company. So, like, if that wouldn't have happened, he may have never left Nintendo. Right. Well, if the he cool done thing, both. though, is now he's sort of, I think he's climbed his way up. I think he's the president of that company, actually. Wow. That's cool. So, yeah, not not composing music quite as much these days. But, um, yeah, done a lot of good work for anime. And we have to segue that. It's fitting that we play that track. So that theme song that he wrote for the Japanese version of Pokemon was actually featured uh, an arrangement in... Pokemon Pinball, which is a Game Boy game. So this is an 8-bit arrangement of his theme that he wrote for the Pokemon series. Now, don't be expecting the North American song. It's, it couldn't be more different from that song. But actually, it, it's kind of more video game you know, in, in nature. So let's take a listen to Ketchum and Evolution Mode in Blue Field from Pokemon Pinball. so much guys for joining us today as we really kind of dive deep into the work video game music work of Hirokazu Hiptanaka for Nintendo man he had a legendary impact on this industry did he ever this was such a good time I know Will especially was looking forward to this Will's such a big fan of Hiptanaka so glad we finally got to do this it's bittersweet you're right Will that we have to end Nintendo month we had such a great time this month thanks to everybody for joining us this month but in the spirit of optimism because we are sort of moving into the month of December which is sort of the fun happy spirit of the holidays mm -hmm. let's look forward to the things that we have to wrap up the year because we have some yeah. really cool stuff coming up next week we're super super excited to have our second installment of favorites with friends with our good buds 
Stephen and Brian Kelly uh, from Train Station at 8. That's a podcast that we've been on a couple times, so we wanted to return the favor and have those guys on. And it's It's going to be be a blast. A more laid-back episode where we just kind of hang out and talk about game music. Having four people on our podcast is going to be a first, and having two sets of brothers, it might get out of control, so we'll we'll see if we can can keep the chaos, you know, in check. But yeah, thanks so much, guys. We're going to play you out. Uh, with our remix full of hot air from Harmony of Heroes. This is the balloon fight theme. And it's cool that, you know, Hirokazu was so into reggae because we're also into reggae as well. Thanks, guys. We had a great month. We hope you did as well. We hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you next week. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. And long live Nintendo. Peace out.